1: Back for another one. How are you
0: hanging in there? It, pretty
1: good. I, I'm I, I'm hanging pretty good. All right. Uh, I was given some amazing uh, organic hemp botanical botanicals. Right. Uh, botanical. Because, or
0: botanical. It's like tomato, tomato.
1: Oh, uh, it's like uh, <laughs> potato, potato. I can only yeah. have one
0: right
1: now. That's... Yeah, it's like radio, radio. Uh, you no, know, that's, <laughs> that's not radio. It's not radio. radio, 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 radio. <laughs> Uh, it's like football or football. Oh, yeah. you know, Foosball, if you come from my family, yeah, yeah. it's like football. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, where is I going with this? Uh, <laughs> Saying so, hi, welcoming our guest, you know, the usual routine. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited about this because for me, and earlier this week, Benny, you heard me talk about like my religious upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. And what that was all about. And you also heard me refer to myself as a spiritual hitchhiker. And so I got a bunch of emails about that from people. And I thought I'm not going to really address that till uh, D. Patrick Miller joined me here today. Uh-huh. And we were going to talk about his book, How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious. And there once upon a time, there was a day, Benny, that I wouldn't even say something like that without like going into confession I would like, have to go to confession. Like if I said spiritual, I would have to go to confession. Today's a different day, though. And thank goodness for the book that he wrote. You know, he is the author of more than this book, dozen books. Uh, and why is it that he is out here talking about this? Well, first of all, he, he knows how to investigate things. Why? investigative journalist he's out there like okay i gotta find out what this is where does it go where's the beginning where does it start what are people thinking i like all of our listeners you heard me talk about i'm a researcher i love i love to find research right i have to discipline myself to stop the difference between patrick and me is he actually writes a book about what he finds I just interview people that write books about what they find. Uh, and so here today, you know, after writing so many articles on so many different things, we get to take the journey with him, how to be spiritual without being religious. And so off we go. Patrick, great to have you.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here or there. I was going <laughs> to
1: call you D. I was going to uh, call D, but Patrick. I just...
0: Patrick is
1: fine. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so this, I, I, I want to start with my comment, because I think my comment is, uh, it, it actually has been reflective in my family. The idea for me to say how to be spiritual without being religious, if I go back in the day, a family I grew up with, that would have been like, you got to go see the bishop over that statement. <laughs> have we made progress here, Patrick?
0: Well, it's it's interesting. This is sort of a a social change that goes back a little bit farther than people think. The first time um, in my research that I ever found evidence of it was in 1988. Um, a survey was done by Better Homes and Gardens magazine, which is hardly a you know a radical uh, periodical, and they did a, a survey of their readers entitled Religion, Spirituality, and the American Family. And it it was the first time I found anywhere in research that uh, like a mainstream um, medium like that was making a distinction between religion and spirituality. And they were finding even in 1988 that a significant number of people were – kind of drifting from established religion to what you might call personal spirituality. Now the stats are, uh, the last, uh, statistic from the Pew research center was that up to 37% of American adults feel comfortable calling themselves spiritual, but not religion, religious. Yeah. Yeah. And 70% of millennials and younger, um, the the and there've been many predictions that mainstream churches are just going to fade away over the next couple um, decades because younger people just aren't going. Yeah. Um, they some of them go to the big mega churches that are popular in evangelical circles. Yeah. But yeah. overall a, a big missed news story is the growth of what you might call the spiritual, not religious movement. You if you if you pay attention too much attention to the news, you would think that right-wing evangelical Christians are in the majority. They're not. They're a tiny minority. Mm-hmm. They're very good at getting press coverage, and the press pays a lot of attention to them because they make a lot of noise. But their numbers are shrinking, and what's growing is the number of people who who are uh, saying that they have a personal spiritual life but no longer identify with the religion.
1: Yeah, and you know what I love about this too is because I, I'm going to kind of piggyback on what you said and then we're going to get right into the to the book as well. I was struck by the fact that one of, I would say, one of the fastest-growing, prominent spiritual pastors, right, um Joel Osteen, right, out of, uh, huh? yeah, uh, out of Houston. He is very clear, and his dad before him, very clear that they are not about religion and that they don't believe in religion. And I think that confused a lot of people when he first came out and said that. But let's that really begs the question, what's the difference between being spiritual and being religious? Because Joel was so clear about that and still is to this day. So was his dad. And I think people get confused about it, just like what I said. G- give me your perspective on what you discovered.
0: Well, there, there are several major differences. I would say um, the first one is kind of a, a, a relocation of what we think is God from out there a paternal, judgmental figure who lives in kind of a mythical heaven place, and is um, alternately kind and loving uh, and judgmental and condemning. Yeah. A, a relocation of that of of what we think of as God from out there to within. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Where people and people. So instead of going to church to find out what God says and is telling you to do, um, you go within and you use spiritual technologies, say meditation, um, vision quests, um, uh, and other disciplines like that. Um, and that is one of the, that's one of the big shifts. Yeah. Um, Another one, um, and um, with your background, you might find um, this interesting. Yeah. (laughs) In in my book, I say one of the big differences is how we handle guilt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Many churches, many mainstream churches depend on guilt to kind of keep people um, in line. And um, whereas in the new spirituality, Uh, there's more of a focus on forgiveness and releasing guilt. And one thing you'll notice, um, I'm not a huge Joel Osteen fan, but one thing you'll notice is he does not guilt trip people.
1: No, he does not. Uh, And, you know, for, for a really long time, and then, you know, he really had to come out about this, for a really long time, most people thought that he was, quote, new thought. And why did we want to think that? Because his message, just like his dad's, though. You know, my stepmom was Southern Baptist, so that's why I'm so familiar with this, right? You know, my my mom, my dad, they were Catholic. And so, for me, I went on a spiritual journey to really figure out what I believed. But I think what you're talking about, you talk about so beautifully in the book, Patrick, is the fact that there are elements— of what we decide for ourselves we are going to believe in slash attach to our journey around this. And you do come out of the gate, and I wanna to talk to you about it when we come back, this idea of guilt. And guilt uh, for a major part of my young life, you know, guilt was something that was trying to be instilled in me but I must tell you, and I shared this the other day, Benny, and I got more emails, I got thrown out of Catholic boarding school at age six. So <laughs> the whole idea about that did not roll very well. Let's take a short break when we come back. Uh, by the way, Seattle, uh, just, just saying, you are at the top of the cities to be most spiritual and least religious. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with all of that. My very special guest today, Patrick Miller. The book is How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious. We've got much more to come. Taking your questions, taking your comments at 1 800 930 2819. I'm so glad I'm talking to him. We'll be right back.
0: Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information.
1: Join Jennifer Noel Taylor on the hit show, Quantum Touch Radio, supercharging your life on transformationtalkradio.com. You'll take a quantum journey as we
2: reveal powerful yet simple steps to create more abundance, better health, emotional and mental vibrancy and happier relationships using universal quantum touch principles. For more information, visit JenniferNoelleTaylor.com. A word of caution, if you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com
1: today. Are you ready to finally feel empowered and knowledgeable in your political stance? Let Marsha Padilla Goad educate you on exactly how important grassroots advocacy is in a relatable way to all perspectives. Tune in to Grassroots Advocacy Radio with Marsha every first Tuesday of the month at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Visit DynamicsInPublicAffairs.com. Are you ready to shift gears
2: from spiritual seeker to spiritual rock star? Let Nova Whiteman be your aligning force that will help you navigate the ups and downs of this human experience. Tune in to Spiritual Alignment Radio with Nova Whiteman every second Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more, visit NovaWhiteman.com. That's N-O-V-A-W-I-G-H-T-M-A-N.com. Is traditional medicine not working for you?
1: You're listening to, yeah, Dr. Pacho, Transformation Talk Radio, Transformation Network, all of the above. For more information about me, you can go ahead and go to uh, drpacho.com. Joining me here today is Patrick Miller, the book that he wrote. I, I just really love it, How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious. And when I got the book, Patrick, I was I was pleasantly surprised, right? And I started to go through and I was reading it. And I, I was surprised about a couple of things, Um the first thing out of the gate that I was surprised about was this notion of releasing guilt, and part of that, and 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 again, the reason I was I was really so uh, just in awe and impressed at the same time is because this whole idea about consciousness or consciousness approach. You and I were talking during the break. You know, we could go back to. The early days of 12 step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, all of the above, and the introduction to the language such as a God of my understanding. Um, But in the book, you talk about releasing guilt and taking a consciousness approach to addiction. Then I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the linkage between guilt and addiction. Because clearly, that is something we are facing big time right now.
0: Yes. Um, You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of um, uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist, uh, once said that um, addiction was basically a very low-level attempt at spirituality. Um, And, you know, it doesn't work very well. (laughs) Yeah. But it's driven by the... Uh, is driven by the same longing that just gets misplaced into the the uh, uh, on, into the wrong tracks. You know, it's a, a longing to have transcendent experience. It's a longing to um, to connect with people, um, and but a lot of that is not very well facilitated in our in our culture, and it's especially not facilitated by religion. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember growing up, I, I, I grew up uh, not very religious. We went to a Methodist church. Uh-huh. And I remember constantly thinking that compared to normal school, like something really extraordinary should happen at Sunday school. <laughs> you know, that, that it, it should be some kind of amazing experience that you didn't get otherwise. Yeah. And instead, I was just being taught things that made no sense. Um, like Jesus Christ died for your sins, and at at eight years old, I couldn't figure out what I'd done wrong. Um, (laughs) That that caused that to happen. And when when I would ask for an explanation, instead of being told something revelatory, I was told, well, you just need to read the Bible more. Um, And so you stop asking these questions. And so what, um, instead of church being a place where something... Transcendent, amazing happened. It seemed to be a place where things got shut down, and you were made to feel guilty if you said the wrong things. Um, so, um, I would say w- w- one of the hallmarks of the of the new spiritual movement is the interest in forgiveness. Yeah, um, I've done a lot of work with the path known as the Course in Miracles, which is the most. Thorough and demanding forgiveness discipline you could imagine. Um, it's it just hammers away at you um, relentlessly on the issue. Um, so again, that that's another of the of the big shifts in in the new spiritual awareness is um, getting away from guilt as a as a habit. You know if. I make a distinction between recognizing wrongdoing yep. and guilt. Yeah. The difference yeah. is if, if you recognize that you've done something wrong um, and you recognize it kind of cleanly and clearly, then you do something to correct it. It's when you don't do anything to correct it over time that the, um, what I would call the addiction to guilt arises. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And... Many churches have uh, traditionally relied on an addiction to guilt to keep people in line.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And for those who are not religious, they'll just transfer that addictive um, tendency elsewhere. They'll transfer it onto a substance or a habit um, or a, a, a way of life. Um, that's not productive, um, but either way, you know, over the long term, guilt just—it it, it doesn't work as a path, and it definitely doesn't lead you to anything transcendent. It doesn't lead you toward growth and um, and change.
1: Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about this a minute, okay? Because. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to share more and more because I'm actually writing a book about this. And I started to share, share more and more about my, the difference between my dad and my stepmom. My, my dad remarried after my mom committed suicide. And so I'm starting to get more and more aware of this. But for myself, I had to understand the serious impact of guilt. And what I mean by that is guilt Without any sort of action, right, to 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 get things right-sided, so to speak, um, it's very very difficult to carry forth in life uh, without being quote. Let me just say triggered, and so the idea of releasing guilt is is really one of the cornerstones of the book, um, and. Uh, and the the dialogue around forgiveness is so important. Yet, don't you think that these two constructs, guilt and forgiveness, are probably, I have to think before I say this, probably two of the most misunderstood uh, uh, ideas that could help people set themselves free?
0: Well, there are definitely a lot of... Um Misunderstandings about forgiveness, I, you know, I've also done a book on forgiveness that came out last year called The Forgiveness Book. And one thing I've noticed when I do uh, public appearances is, is that people think forgiveness means um, um, giving in or making excuses for other people or for oneself. In other words, that it's a sign of weakness. Um when you can't deal with life any other way, then you finally surrender and forgive. And in my experience, it's just the opposite. It's the key to being really strong. And in fact, when you have a forgiving attitude, you're actually more likely to see other people's faults and flaws and your own more clearly. Uh, But the difference is you also know what to do about those problems in a more effective way, Um, which is not to get habitually angry or not to feel habitually guilty, but again, to do something to change things, to change oneself, to change the nature of relationships, um, um, to take a positive action rather than getting... um, Trapped in guilt. I think the main misgiving about uh, main r- or wrong belief about guilt is that it somehow makes us better. Um, you know, if we're that we should be guilty about certain things, we should be guilty about something we've done wrong. Yeah. And my feeling at all is is if we've done something wrong or doing something wrong, we need to correct it. We need to yeah correct. yeah <laughs> not feel. Guilty about it. Um, a Course in Miracles defines a miracle as a shift in perception, or in other words, changing your mind.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's um, it's always struck me as kind of funny because for a lot of people, you know, changing their mind really would be a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the
1: yeah things- you, you and I are almost on the same page. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was back on the East Coast and I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, making a decision might almost be a miracle. But they're kind of two sides of the same coin, right? Right. You know, they're all centered around being bad, making a mistake. Well, like one of the things you say in the book that I really kind of latched onto to was when you talk about guilt versus the new moment and you talk about this, you, you, you go on and you talk about the way we are often so fixed on the past that we overlook the potential of the present. And by the way, I totally agree with this, except that I, I tried to actually practice the, bo- the book The Power of Now and I realized it's impossible because the minute I'm in the now moment, that's actually past. And so I I, I now coined a phrase, the power of next. But what you talk about here is this idea of shackling ourselves with the past. And then you go on to say it's like guilt, right, would rather have us believe that a greater darkness is always closing in upon that, upon us. And I thought to myself, yes, that is the way that feels, Patrick. It is the way it feels. And, you know, you talk about it, and I love this. This is my new phrase. This is right from Patrick's book, everybody, How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious. Patrick Miller right here. Going to give a copy of the book away. Guilt is darkness. Faith is light. Where they coexist is a world of shadows. That is our world. Oh, boy. Let's take a short break. We come back. That's going to catapult us on. To a topic that I spent eight years studying and then got depressed trust <laughs> trust let's take a short break we'll be right back
2: are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you are you ready for a real shift I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me Tracy Al, on the Tracy L Clark show where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life at 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at TracyLClark.com. Are you new to playing with the law of attraction or a seasoned pro looking for an easy and organized way to monitor your co-creation endeavors as you draw them from the immaterial planes into your physical reality? Then join me over at goldenotter.us for bi-monthly new and full moon rituals where we plant seeds of intention, then harvest the fruits of our desires as part of a dynamic community in the members-only Lunar Manifestations Forum. I'm Autumn Seibel, host of Golden Otter Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream. And I can't wait to meet you. What is holding you back from living the life you are meant to live? Why is it vital to believe in something bigger than yourself? Are you in physical or emotional pain? Tune in monthly to Vibrant Purposeful Living, Awaken the vibrant life within you with Lou Paradise and Dr. Pat on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Lou's passion is to help everyone experience positive solutions for life. Find out more about Lou with Vibrant Purposeful
1: Living at LouParadise.com. Knowledge Book Radio with Marge Potasic has a special gift for everyone out there. To receive three chapters of the Knowledge Book as a special gift, send your email to mmjp99 at gmail.com. That's Emma's in Mary, Emma's Mary, jp99 at gmail.com now to receive this fabulous, fabulous gift of the Knowledge Book.
2: Are you someone who wishes they had more joy in their daily life? Then I've got to tell you that gratitude is your greatest ally. And here's why. Our brains are wired to look for problems, to look for where things aren't working in our lives. But a continued focus on what we're not happy about, as you can imagine, kind of keeps joy at arm's length. Instead, Why not train your brain to look for what is good in your life? You know, the things, the people, the opportunities that you are really thankful for. I call this a gratitude practice. I do it every day and it's made a huge difference to my joy levels. And the sooner you begin, the sooner your joy will increase too. I'm Lynn Hoard, creator of Joy School and host of Gimme the Joy Radio, which you can tune into every second and fourth Thursday of the month 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. UK time on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: everybody welcome 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 back uh patrick miller joining me here today the book is how to be spiritual without being religious you know patrick before we kind of jump ahead you know i mentioned earlier that you're the author of a number of books and i would love to know how people can find out more about you but also how to get a copy of the book and benny we are going to give a copy of the book away today and patrick's actually going to sign it um how how can people uh find out more about you
0: well um I have two websites. My personal author website is dpatrickmiller.com. Okay. And that's where you see uh, the books I've written. I'm also, uh, but I'm also a publisher and literary agent, and I work with a number of other writers under my company name, Fearless Books. So the other website uh, showing off their work is uh, fearlessbooks.com. But my work is on my personal uh, site at dpatrickmiller.com. The, this book, "How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious," and the one that just preceded it, called the Forgiveness Book, they're they're widely available. You could you know get them online or or any bookstore. And in fact, um, "How to Be Spiritual Without Being Religious" is also in audio. Just oh, that's cool! Um,
1: wow! Wow! I can, Very I, cool.
0: I didn't read it, but uh, it, it was uh, done by a company called Tantor Audio. And I think it just went on the market last week.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, for, uh, I, I think that, you know, for all of you listening to the show, there are many things that Patrick could have put in this book. And I was really struck by, and I was telling you this during the break, I was really struck by, you know, the what I want to say is really, you know, the core elements of the book. And the one I want to talk about, and I know we're not going to have time for everything, but before we get to talking about gathering trust, uh, Benny, let's go ahead and give a copy. uh, And this is going to be an autographed copy of the book uh, by Patrick. Let's give a copy of the book away. 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. Gathering trust. Um, I, I think we have to start with a definition of what you mean by trust, because many people uh, would look at this and talk about an aspect of trust that may or may not be what you mean. Tell us what you mean by this and, and what is the gathering process about? <laughs>
0: um, well, one thing I, I say in the book is that you, you, could, you can trust others only to the extent that you can trust yourself. And I would add to that, um, that you trust yourself only to the extent that you trust something greater than yourself, whether you call it something greater, God or not. And this again gets back to my early religious experience as a child, where I remember getting mixed messages about um, you know, God the Father was something was was someone you should be able to trust in any circumstances and always get guidance by praying. But on the other hand, if he if he did something wrong, he was going to punish you and send you to hell. Um, and so, you know, I was very confused by that as a child. Like, um, why 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 are we given this mixed message uh, by the church we go to that um, God is this sort of unpredictable father who might take care of you and might condemn you. Um, sure. When I – my my spiritual path began really uh, in my 30s when I I was seriously ill for seven years. And I realized that um, in the process of recovery that um, I was very angry at the world. I was very distrustful of the world. Uh, That's one reason I had become an investigative reporter Uh, in my 20s was because I thought there was something wrong with the world and there was – should be somebody to blame, and I was going to find out who that was. (laughs) (laughs) What I discovered in my 30s in the process of of a serious illness was that the main person I didn't trust was myself. And that inner distrust I sort of threw out onto the world so that the world looked very untrustworthy. And it took me a long time to realize that I was, you know, Looking at myself, yeah. And so, what I call the process of gathering trust is um, learning to contact the inner strength that is reliable. And this is kind of connected to the to the first step of releasing yeah. guilt. If you don't release guilt, you're never going to find that inner reliability. Yeah,
1: um, uh, you can't. I mean, honestly, it's this weird thing, right? And I don't know who said this to me first, but it's this weird thing where when you have trust on a continuum, something like doubt can't coexist with it. And when we have guilt, we have these elements of, uh, of doubt that seep through it, right? Right. Um, guilt carries so much weight with it. It's hard to even describe, but in your book, um, you talk about, I love this phrase. There's so many things in this book. I love these, it's just like these little sentences. So this one is the capacity for trust rests chiefly on one's own trustworthiness. Is that the same as the buck stops here?
0: Uh, Sort of. I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> it's also it's also a sense of inner strength. Like I, I give an example in the book of of um, a very high level of trust. Uh, you know, if you're accosted you're on the street uh, by someone with a uh, a knife or a gun, um, can you trust them not to be dangerous? Oh. The answer obviously is no, but the, the question I raise is what if you had so much faith in your capacity to reach someone, uh, and connect with someone that you knew that you could talk down that attacker? If you had that much trust in yourself, um, then you could trust almost anyone. And um, years ago, I studied the martial art uh, known as Aikido, mm. and the founder of Aikido, Maruhai Ushiba, um, once gave a wonderful example of of what the whole point of Aikido was. Um, and he said the, the, the point of Aikido, which is a defensive art, not an uh, aggressive one, is to be able to enter a room and by your mere presence to quell any conflict in that room without lifting a finger. And the point was that to have that much presence, you had to be a master of the techniques of Aikido, but the paradox was that if you're truly a master, you don't need to use them. Mm -hmm. You will have so much presence and so much power, um, so much influence just by being there that conflict will get tamped down all around you, and I think of the same thing. Uh, if if you're not thinking in terms of martial arts, yeah, I think of uh, someone who's truly forgiving of every moment, and is working on that skill all the time. Develops that kind of presence and that's why i say you know forgiveness should not be mistaken for weakness it should, it should be a uh, it's correctly identified as an enormous strength
1: it is it is it an enormous strength
0: it doesn't mean that you trust only wonderful things to happen
1: right and it, it also doesn't mean that you condone uh an act right, right. or you you know what i mean it's like the confusion, I think, around forgiveness, it has a lot to do with the belief that if you forgive, that you somehow are aligning with an egregious act, let's say. Right. But you're not, right? I think I think forgiveness is, is one of the more selfish things to do because you're the one that gets set free from it. But, but in this notion of gathering trust, right, how do we ever move beyond anything without at least some level of trust? Now, some people say I trust in God. Some people say I trust in the universe. Some people say I trust in the ladybug outside my window. Um, all of the above. I trust in self so to speak. Um, and my question is, you really cover multiple aspects of this. But the one I want to jump to real quick is in order to do this, I believe you say, we have to understand our shadows. And I think that was fascinating for me to find it in this section on gathering trust.
0: Yes. And again, it's a, there's another difference from Mainstream religion, which would have us not look at our shadows, right? Uh, which would have us turn away from the darkness, always keep turned toward the light. Um, if anything troubles us, we we you know we give it over to Jesus. Let Jesus take care of it um, um, instead of confronting the self. And another hallmark of the new spirituality is really a focus on self confrontation. Um, not for the sake of identifying oneself as sinful, but for the, for the purpose of, uh, learning how to transform oneself. In conventional religion, all transformation is left up to a higher power. You know, you admit that you're a sinner and you give everything over to Jesus and you hope he takes care of it. (laughs) The difference in, uh, Spirituality is apart from religion is that it puts much more emphasis on the individual facing himself or herself, looking at the good, bad, and the ugly, and instead of condemning or feeling guilty about what's bad or ugly, um, having the trust, um, the, the practical faith, as it were, that it can be transformed. Which is not easy, um, but it's it's just a higher degree of, of responsibility, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's and that and that's ironic because often people who are into some form of alternative spirituality are regarded as not serious, um, or they're you know trying to avoid facing their sins and so forth. Yeah. I, I I find it's just it's just the opposite.
1: Yeah, um,
0: uh, I think that people who are on a, any kind of serious spiritual path are doing some very demanding work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things too that you talk about in the book, and I want to jump to this now for a minute, is practicing patience. And uh, I love the 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 part that you write about patience versus. Uh, passivity and I want to talk about that a minute because I think that you know kind of like forgiveness this is one of these areas where patience sometimes is viewed as immobilization procrastination I mean I could go on with various representations of patience Um, definitely uh, for me, I I, I know that um, I can patiently wait in a line that is two blocks long, uh, while I, I have a friend that, while waiting in the line, is trying to figure out how not to wait in the line, right? <laughs> um, and strategizing for, you know, can we sneak in front of this? I don't even want to get it. But I want to talk about this because... Patience is, I think, also a reflection of inner peace. What do you think?
0: Well, uh, one thing I say in the book is that one of the best ways to develop a greater capacity for patience is to look at your impatience. When you find yourself feeling hurried, frenzied, alarmed, uh, feeling the need to rush things, to look at that clearly and say, well, why? Why? Um, what do I want to be different and why do I want it to be different fast uh, and uh, sort of question the you know question the urgency there may be a good reason that you're impatient about something or other and if so that needs to be appreciated uh, but sometimes impatience is just a um, displaced a- anxiety um, it's you know, not wanting to have to stand there in that line and just be with yourself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: anything but that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Myself and my cell phone. Uh, my cell phone. Right. Ah. <laughs> uh, one
0: of the greatest, uh, greatest things I ever heard about uh, meditation was said by uh, the late teacher Stephen Levine, who was told this by his teacher, said. Uh, Real meditation is just one insult after another. Um, and what he meant by that is that, you know, if if you really sit down and get still and allow whatever's inside yourself to come up in your mind so it can be faced, um, it can be a really humiliating and insulting experience, you know. <laughs> you see all kinds of things you wouldn't want to see, and you see all kinds of things that you have to learn to be patient with. Um, and it may be, it may sound kind of a, it's a paradox, but it's, it's, it's a workable paradox that one thing we have to learn to be patient with is our impatience. Yeah, totally. We to learn to be patient with our racing minds, our anxiety, our need for things to be different now. Um, and one way to sort of undo that is to step back and say, "Well, why do why do I have this feeling right now?" Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not saying it's wrong. You know, it's very difficult to to try not to be impatient.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. But you know, one of the things I love about this, which I discovered—I I mean, the minute I discovered this, I can't remember what year it was. I did, this happened when I was really young. Um, is what you wrote in the book, and and I I almost was I almost had to do a second take on it, and then I got back to read it. The river of possibilities. Here's what you say. This is what I discovered at a very young age, and I don't know how. Patience recognizes that there is always a much greater range of possibilities at hand than the limited outcomes we can plan, predict, or produce. Impatience awaits something in particular. Patience expects the continuous flow of the unexpected. To be patient about the sights and sounds ahead on a journey down a river, imagine the point of imagine the point of view of the river. I loved what you wrote there. And I, I, I almost was like, okay, is he not going to write more about that? Um, <laughs> but I think he said it all because we don't talk about the amazing, expansive nature of patience and possibilities together. We do not talk about that enough. And the reason I say that is I wouldn't be talking to you today if. This was not a part of my nature. I would have, I dialed the wrong phone number 15 years ago. That's why you and I are talking. I didn't hang up, (laughs) right? But I had to learn about possibilities. And I wanted you to talk about possibilities because I find possibilities really um, uh, much more out in the conversation about spiritual. I don't know, am I making that up? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, one way I often think about it is something I, I sometimes ask people and I often ask myself is, how many times have things worked out positively just the way you planned them?
1: <laughs>
0: and how many times have things gone wrong exactly the way that you feared? Uh, in my own life experience, things have never worked out the way I planned them, although sometimes they work out amazingly well. Yeah. And especially uh, the things that go wrong, I never see coming. You know, yeah. The things I think are going to go wrong, um, I can, you know, <clears throat> waste all my time worrying about that. But they're going to go wrong in some other way.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, uh, that's why I say imagine the point of view of the river. Um, you're, you're constantly rushing forward into a future you cannot predict. And when we um, either worry negatively or try to do a lot of positive visualization, either way, we're trying to control that river, and that we're never going to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, part of patience is just being willing to let the unexpected happen. Um. It doesn't mean you never make plans or or, or um, never try to foresee what might go wrong. It just means you don't get ob- obsessed with it because either positive or negative things are never going to go exactly the way you expect. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah
1: I, I mean, look, things like this and what we're talking about really warrant an analysis of ourselves on how we respond to the world. And that's the thing that I discovered in this. And, you know, especially in my journey to research trust is to look at, you know, the various ways that the human psyche responds to things. And I will tell you that as an adult versus being somebody in my teenage years, my response to things, whether they're good, bad or indifferent is very different. And like you, I too experienced a, an eight-year uh, illness, right? And you think that we either come out of the other side of that with something different changing about us that's going to help us understand ourselves more or we're not. And And so part of this then is talking about here we are today and what is it that seems to be so appealing to those who choose spiritual rather than religious. And I know I've got time for that last question here, but I want to ask that. What have you discovered is sort of the attraction now, even for a church like uh, Lakewood, like Joel's church in Houston, To make a bold announcement, yeah, no, we're not religious. Can you talk about what you've seen to get us to this place? And thank you for your time today.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me. To answer that briefly, I would say I think we're all innately spiritual. In other words, we all have a longing to know why are we here? Why are things this way? You know what is our purpose, or what can our purpose be? And we are—if we're raised in a conventional religion—we're sort of given the idea. Well, the church will tell you all that. Um, by and large, for increasing numbers of people, it doesn't anymore. Um, and there are many, many influences and many, many reasons why this is so. But the the the, the total result is that that people are turning. Mm-hmm. To themselves to find those answers. Yeah. Um, and it should be noted that the founders of all the great religions, from Christ to Muhammad to Buddha, yeah. that's what they did. Yeah. They turned to themselves to find the answers. What they um, discovered was later, you know, co- codified and misinterpreted and institutionalized so that it's almost not recognizable. Yeah. And that's why uh, there's so much interest in, um, you know, getting getting back to source experience. You know, yeah. Um, whether that's Buddhist meditation or Christian mystical meditation or vision quest, um, the idea is people going back to the root experience of their own spiritual drive without an intermediary. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow.
1: Patrick, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for today. Thank you for a copy of the book. Last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today?
0: Oh, um, um, I guess a repeat of what I just said, which is that, you know, we, we, we're we all innately spiritual and there's a way to, there are many ways, in fact, to um, find that path within oneself. You might find it while being a member of a church. I'm not saying they are necessarily exclusive Um, yep but uh, more and more people you know are finding it um outside the church and it's the the the, the, that search for meaning i think is um is central to the human experience it gets mistaken for many other things many other kinds of desires we you know yeah uh, whether that's getting rich or uh having a great romance or, or, and I think when you, when you, you've you've gotten old enough to sort of burn through all those things that don't work out. Yeah. (laughs) It's when that, that, that uh, instinctive search for meaning begins to, to take prominence. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Benny. Hey, everybody. We'll see you next time.